0: Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. My name is Adam, and I am one of the pastors here at Life Central. I'm married to Bridget, and we have three beautiful children Douglas, Huckleberry, and baby Angus, who's sat just about over there. So if you hear a heckle, it'll be my son in about five minutes' time. And you know, I get the privilege today of continuing our series, The Summer of Freedom. Last week, we heard from Laura Hancock, who brilliantly spoke about how we can outlive this freedom through our relationships. And this week, I get the privilege of speaking about how we can outlive this freedom in our working lives and in our working places. Now, I just want to address the elephant in the room. If you are unemployed, if you're retired, if you're a student, stay-at-home parent, the CEO of Apple, or anything in between, this talk is still relevant for you. And I know that because when I was doing my research into what work looks like and is, I looked in the Oxford English Dictionary. Well, I actually went online because I don't think anybody actually has a dictionary anymore. And this is the definition that came up for it. It said this, it is an excitation or effort to achieve something, a labour or a toil. And when we go back further into the old English language, this word walk comes up. And it says this, it says something done, a discreet act, um, by somebody uh, who has um, done that, whether voluntary or required. And that's a really important thing here because how I'm defining work today is this. It's anybody who has a role or responsibility for someone or something. If you have a role or responsibility for someone or something, then I can guarantee that you have a working life. And I reckon that qualifies around about 99% of us today. And I think... um, the key for us today is to know that we're not free from not working. You know, God wants us to work. He was a worker. He created the heavens and the earth. If you didn't know, Jesus, who we believe was the son of God, he was a carpenter for 30 years before he stepped into his ministry. So working is really important for God. And so we're not free from not working. But what are we free from. And I did some research into the word about work and labour, and this is what it came up with. There was an article published by The Guardian in 2013, and it was entitled this, The Language of Labouring Reveals Its Tortured Roots. And basically what the um, journalist was saying in that was that the original European languages, the words all had imagery of compulsion, affliction, torture and pain. Now I don't know about you, But I have had moments in my working life or in my my life where I felt like someone's torturing me, where I felt affliction and pain and difficulty and suffering. And those moments come and go throughout life, I believe. And you know, I don't believe that I'm the only one, because according to Forbes magazine, in 2020, they published this article saying that 81% of us were unhappy in our working lives. And actually, out of those 81% of us, 62% of us would therefore then fake happiness in order to survive. How do we go then from a place of surviving to thriving? How do we go from faking it to make it? Because I don't believe that that's what God intended for us as people. You see, I believe that God intended us not only to be content in work but to find freedom and therefore bring freedom to others through our work. The Apostle Paul, he writes this really interesting letter called, the, called Colossians and it's in the second part of the Bible. It's, it's the New Testament and he writes this letter to this bunch of people and he gives some great advice about where to start to find some contentment in our workplace and he says this in Colossians three twenty three: He says, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart, as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. You know, that's really nice words, isn't it? Like, work for it for God. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. But ha- well, actually, who he was writing to wasn't just people who were figuratively feeling trapped. They weren't just like, oh, I'm feeling tortured by my boss. This is an awful situation. But he was writing to a bunch of people who were slaves. So their whole life experience, they were trapped in this place of torture and torment and affliction. They were underpaid and overworked, they were underappreciated, nobody cared about them. And I don't know about you or me, but I've probably felt like I've been in a situation where I felt like the slave in that that moment. Like I'm underappreciated, overworked and underpaid. And you know what we would normally do is start a petition, put it all over social media, go on riots, (laughs) protest. That's what we would traditionally do. I remember growing up and seeing firemen protest because they weren't paid enough. And that's what society expects us to do. And that's what society would tell us to do. But the Apostle Paul, he subverts society's expectations and he flips the script and he says this: He says, No, work at it harder with all of your heart, as if you're doing it for God and not for man. And I think that wherever we are in life, whether we're the top of the ladder or the bottom, whether we've got all the money in the world or no money at all, then it is our role and responsibility to work and act in this way, to act and work with all of our hearts as if we're doing it for God and not for man. How do we do that? Well, I want to give us some biblical principles today in order to do that. You know, I haven't always been a pastor. I know, surprising looking at me. Looking at the holy man before you, but I haven't always been a pastor. If you know me, you know that's a complete joke. Um, uh, I haven't always been a pastor. You know, I've had a number of different jobs. So here you can see I was an air steward for a number of years. Look at that That doesn't even look like me, does it? Look at that, eh? Uh, I was a youth worker. Uh, I worked for a local authority. Uh, I've worked in a call centre. I've Even being a facilities assistant at this great church called Life Central Church for a few months. And you know, some of the jobs I've had I've loved and others I've absolutely hated. But when I've applied these principles to my life, that is when i found true contentment and then freedom in my working life and in my life in general. Um, There was a study taken a few years ago about how we can find success in the workplace. And one of the findings was that actually it wasn't success that should fuel us, but happiness and how to find happiness in the workplace. It was a really interesting bit of finding. They basically did this research and they asked all these people to imagine watching their favourite movie. So if you could do that for me right now, whatever your favourite movie is, just imagine it. And apparently when we do that, it raises our endorphin levels by 27%. That's our like happiness hormones. And when we're happier, we are meant to be able to work faster. And I want us to look today at this story, a story in the Bible around about a guy called Joseph. You may have heard of him, Joseph, in his technical dream coat. And, and the title in there, the dream coat, is because Joseph had a dream. Therefore, he had something to look forward to. And Joseph's dream wasn't even a good dream, but it was a God dream. And how do we know it's a God dream? It's because it can't be achieved by Joseph in his own strength. It could only be achieved through the power of God. And you know, Martin Luther King Jr., he had a God dream, didn't he? When he stood there and he said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. You see, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream didn't just affect him, or his children, but keeps affecting generations and generations and generations. It was bigger than him. It was bigger than his children. It was even bigger than the state and the country that he lived in because it is affecting society around us today. And I believe this, that God is calling us to be culture shapers and culture makers. Why should we be shaped by the culture out there? Why shouldn't we be the ones who imagine and create the culture out there? You see, God, he didn't need a Pinterest board. He was the original imaginator when he created the heavens and the earth. And you know what? He imparts that gift to us to have that imagination and that creativity too. And so today I look around this room and I see culture shaper, culture maker, culture shaper, culture maker, wherever you are, wherever you're placed, that is our role. I believe that today. You see, Joseph, he had the dream. His dream wasn't a good one. It was a God dream. And this is the basic premise of his dream. It was that one day he was going to bring freedom to the land. And that his working colleagues were actually going to bow down to him. But this is the plot twist. This is where it gets juicy. His working colleagues were actually his brothers. You see, he worked for the family business. And you know, working for the family business isn't an easy thing, especially when you're the favourite. Joseph was not only the youngest, but he was the favourite. And so Joseph had this dream that he was going to bring freedom and he was going to have all his brothers bow down to him. Now, if I was Joseph, I wouldn't be going to tell my brothers that. Joseph was a little bit different to me. He went and told his brothers, who weren't too happy about it, as you can imagine. And in fact, they were so annoyed about it, they plotted to kill Joseph. I mean, that is an intense plot line right there. Not even EastEnders could write that stuff. And so he, he goes and he, and he tells them they plot to kill him. And then one of them grows a conscience and says, hey, look, we can't kill him. He's our own flesh and blood. Let's just take it down a notch. Fake his death, sell him into slavery. We'll make a few bob, and that way we don't have to worry about him. And that's what happens. You see, Joseph gets sold as a slave at the age of 17, and he's bought by a guy called Potiphar. Now, Potiphar, he's an important character because he is the bodyguard of the Egyptian king. So he is a well-to-do man, big household, and Joseph goes in as this low-level slave He doesn't probably understand the culture. He probably doesn't understand the language. But what he does see is an opportunity before him to serve his master and to serve God in that place. And that's what exactly what Joseph does. And the Bible tells us this. In Genesis 39 four, it says, Joseph found favour in the Egyptians' eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. That is how good Joseph was. He changed the culture and changed the game. That All Potiphar had to worry about was whether he was ordering a chippy or a Chinese off of Just Eat Tonight. That is what, that is what he did. And so how did Joseph do that? How did Joseph change the culture? How did he become content in those difficult places? Well, the first thing he did, and my first principle today is this, become distinct in character and set apart. You see, Joseph was distinct in a few ways. The first one is this, that the Bible tells us that he was a handsome, well-built young man. Is there any handsome, well-built young men in the house today? Does anybody want to own up to that and stand up to it? Because I know, come on, if you're there, stand up, because I know that I have tried to work at being well-built, and apparently, sitting around for 32 years, maybe going for the odd run and going to the gym every now and then, and eating a ton of McDonald's, it doesn't really have that effect of being well-built. Certainly not well-built in the way that we know Joseph was. You see, Joseph took care of himself. He took pride in who he was, and when he, whatever the task at hand, he presented himself the best he could. The second one is this, that he had an attitude that was distinct. It was different from the rest. You see, he got in early. He served hard and he stayed late. He cared about his master's stuff as if it was his own. He wasn't rocking up late with a Starbucks in hand and moaning about the traffic and saying, oh, the traffic was bad again this morning. Oh, with my macchiato in hand. He was there early. He, came, he, he cared so much. He didn't, he didn't moan about his boss overworking him or underpaying him. He cared deeply about the task in hand. You see, he wasn't working as doing it for Potiphar. He was doing it as if he was doing it for God. You see, when we remain distinct and different, we stand out from the rest and we start to change the culture amongst us. When we have a character of excellence, then we can start to change things. Now, I'm not saying that you rock up to your working life in your finery, your finest aftershave or perfume, but what I am saying is this, taking pride in who you are and more importantly, whose you are. That is what's going to cause you to be distinct from the rest. You see, Joseph may have been Potiphar's slave, but he knew that he was God's chosen person to bring freedom to a place. You see, happiness, I don't believe it's about lying to ourselves or turning a blind eye to the negative, but about adjusting our brains so that we can see ways to rise above our circumstances. Becoming distinct and set apart, I believe this helps us. I believe it helps us rise above those difficult circumstances. I believe it reminds us that we have a call, we have a purpose, we have have talents and skills, we have gifts, and it's our responsibility to use them to the max. You see, when we start to change our way of thinking and not doing it for human applause, then we start to change culture. When we start to change our perspective and culture, we start to understand that happiness is not the belief that we don't need to change our situations but happiness can be the, the thing that propels us to be the change in those situations. What does it look like for you and me to be the change in our situations where God has placed us right now? Our streets, our workplaces, playgroups, universities, schools. Wherever you're placed, you have an opportunity to be that change. You see, when, we, when our characters start to affect others, it will start to bring in changes in their lives as well. Because then they start to say, Why? Why do you serve late? Why do you care? Why do you stay that bit, bit later? Why do you do that a bit more? Why do you give that a bit extra? Why do you even care? They don't care about you. And here's the thing, we get to respond by saying, this is who we are. This is who we are. You see, the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, work at it with all of your heart as if you're doing it for God. In other words, Paul's saying, look, you don't have to be the next Abbey Eaton or Dan Murphy. You don't have to worship like that. But you could worship through your work, through the place that I've placed you, giving your all, serving well, caring about these things. That is how we are going to do that. When we consciously do it for God and primarily, not primarily for people, we're better able to deal with those difficult people, those difficult situations, because ultimately it isn't about them or what they do or say to us, but it's about God and those that God puts in and around us. What would it look like Monday through to Saturday? if we served and worked like Joseph did, with no grumbling, with an attitude of gratitude, culture changes, getting in early, staying late, being distinct in character. And you might say there today, hey, this sounds like a great idea, Adam. I'm up for this, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what my boss is like. You don't know what my neighbours are like. You don't know what it's like on the school run. You don't know what it's like where I am placed right now. It's so difficult and I want out. And you're right, I don't. But what I do know is that you have an opportunity To change the culture you have an opportunity to serve you have an opportunity to be the change in that place and to bring some good if we want to see our schools our communities workplaces playgroups all these places changed for the good then we need to be the places the people to change them it's not about doing the minimum it's about doing the maximum why do you know Jesus that's what he did he could have done the minimum but he chose to go to the maximum when he went to the cross for you and for me He chose to do that because he cared about who you are and who I am. That is who he is. You see, when we bring our faith to our working lives, that changes so much. Because I don't believe that Halzoen, Rowley, Hagley, the places that we are placed, they don't need a new definition of what Christianity is. But they do need a new demonstration of what it looks like Monday through to Saturday. You know, I was up... In Rowley a few weeks ago, and I was talking to some people there and they said to me, Oh, you're the church that just opens on a Sunday. And I was like, No, we're the church that's open all the time. We are the church, it's not just about the building, but we are the church. And you know, I think we need to start changing that thought pattern. It's not just about this hour, this is really important, but this is the hour of power that sends us out to go and do the work that God needs us to do Monday through to Saturday in our everyday. You see, the Reverend Dr. Neil Hudson, he writes in his book, and I've been reading it this summer, called Scattered and Gathered. He writes this. He says, it means that our everyday relationships, our everyday plans and our everyday actions, they matter. Nothing offered to God is wasted. And he goes on to say this. Whatever you do, it all counts that being a follower of Jesus means that we bring everything to him and for him, however small they may seem. You see, preparing the accounts, changing the nappies, (laughs) baking the bread, scanning the stuff at the till, (laughs) doing the exercise classes, whatever it is and wherever your place, when we bring it to God, it matters to him and it honours him and then he can honour us. Point two, my second principle is this, let's be people of integrity. We love that word, don't we, integrity? It's kind of a word we band around, especially in Christian circles, like, oh, they're really integral. What does it actually mean? And we're going to unpack that in a minute. You see, because I think we will all go through an integrity test in our lives. Joseph goes through this integrity test. He's working really, really hard. In fact, the Bible tells us he gets promoted to be the top dog in the house, that all Potiphar has to worry about is the food that he is ordering. And so Joseph's got it all made, people under him. And you would think that probably is the end of the story. He's brought freedom to the household. Woo-hoo. But that's not the dream. The dream is bigger than him, bigger than the household. his wife gets the hots for Joseph because remember, he's a handsome, well-built young man. And she starts pursuing him, starts asking him every single day, no one's around, me and you, let's just, come on, no one's going to see this. And the Bible tells us this in Genesis 39. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. And you know what Joseph did? He left his cloak in her hand and he ran out. He didn't even say anything. He just was like, nope, I'm going. I'm not even going to respond to that. And you see, Joseph, he wasn't not attracted to her. Because when I was doing some research about her, her name was Zulukha, which means, uh, translated basically means fair, brilliant, beautiful. In other words, she was fit and she knew it and so did Joseph and everybody else around her. And she was quite a powerful woman in this household and she was pursuing him saying, no one's going to know, this can just be between me and you. No one's going to see this. But you know, Joseph knew that God was watching him and he knew that his integrity meant way more to him than anything else. He knew that that God dream that God had put inside of him meant more to him than that cheap sex (laughs) <laughs> and that, friend, that, that girl. He, he knew that he had to run away from that situation. And that's exactly what he did. You see, our integrity will always be tested because what we do in the private will always set us up for the public. How we behave in our private lives will come out in the public. You know, you can't hide that because it eventually will come out. If whatever you do, however you behave, it's going to come out in your public life. It sets you up for how you perform in your public life. But integrity isn't just about being perfect. And I know this because uh, a few years, these two little rascals came along. Let me introduce you to them. This is Huckleberry and this is Douglas. And uh, they uh, are my two twin boys. They're my, the love of my life, other than my wife and Jesus and my baby Angus. I absolutely love them. And we went through this period, as all parents do, about potty training. And I'm sure you can see where this story is going to go. So we read some books and we spoke to some friends and uh, the, the general gist was if you want your children to get used to the potty, then what you need to do is just lay some potties in and around the place and let them run around with no nappies on and they'll get used to it and they'll eventually go. Well, one day I was in my garden... And uh, our old house kind of had a brilliant view, and it, you could see the safari park in the, in the distance, and I was breathing in the country air, looking at the safari park, and thinking, oh, isn't life wonderful? And then I got a waft of something that wasn't really that wonderful. So I went to go and investigate, and off I went down the garden, and there was their playhouse, and there was a parcel for me in, in the playhouse. And all I can describe it was, it was a brown emoji that we sometimes all use on our phone to describe difficult situations. And um, There it was. So I decided to bring the boys over and just talk to them about it to see who had left this parcel. And uh, boys, who did this? And immediately, without a blink in the eye, it was Doug, it was Huck. Blaming each other straight away. And so I eventually got to the bottom of it and I was able to clear up the mess. And you know, the reason I tell you that story is not to embarrass my children, but it's to say this. Integrity isn't always about being perfect, but it's admitting to when we've done things wrong as well. You see, you will mess up. I mess up daily. I'm so thankful for the grace of God upon my life and the grace that God has put into my working colleagues' lives that offer me grace, my wife, my family, my friends. I need it. We all need it. You see, when you mess up, you need to fess up and own it because integrity is about being honest and authentic and we want people in our lives who are honest and authentic, don't we? When you mess up, you fess up, and you don't blame it on your brother. When we think about the word uh, integrity, it actually derives from the Latin adjective integer, which means whole or complete. And when I was looking at that, it's kind of like a number. And what it means, basically, is this, that you have one life, live it. We've all heard that, haven't we? One life, live it. And what it's talking about is your character needs to remain the same. So my character here on the stage needs to be the same as what it is at home with my kids, as what it is with it's just me and Bridget. Uh, when I'm in Aldi doing my shopping, when I'm stuck behind that frustrating person who's holding me up on my journey to work, when I'm on the golf course, and <laughs> wherever I am, if you bump into me, you need to be able to say, oh, that's Adam Whitley. I recognise him because of his character. We need to have one life and live it. You see, the opposite to integrity is hypocrite. We use that word a lot, don't we? And we get called that as Christians often. You know, you're a hypocrite. Christians are just hypocrites. They say one thing and do the other. And you know, the word hypocrite it actually comes from the Greek word hypocritize which actually means an actor or a stage player. You see, you were not designed to play a play a part in a play, because what these guys would do is change their masks between scenes. We weren't called to play different people in different scenes. We were called to be people of integrity. One life, live it. Our characters remain in the same. Now, I'm not saying that I am not different with Bridget to how I am with Andy Hancock, for instance, because that would be pretty weird if I wasn't. Let's be honest, I'm married to Bridget, and I work with Andy, and he's my friend. But my character, it needs to remain the same. How I am, how I treat Bridget with respect and love is how I treat Andy with respect and love. It's just a different kind of respect and love. My final principle today is this, is that we need to be people of consistency and humility. You see, you would have thought by now, Joseph has been through all these tests and he's passed that integrity test. You would have thought, well, this is it. He's, He's destined for the palace. He's destined for that big dream moment. But that doesn't always happen in life, does it? You see, our lives are not fairy tales, are they? We don't go from here to here to here to here to here. It doesn't always work out like that. In fact, I know from my life, sometimes I've gone from here to here to here to here to here, maybe to here. And then I kind of go along a bit, maybe to here, then back down again. That's kind of the way that life works. I'm really sorry to to burst your bubble this morning. If you're thinking being a Christian means that your life is all perfect and there's nothing ever goes wrong, I'm really sorry to say that that's not the truth but what is true is that you do have God with you and God helping you through those situations. And you see, Joseph, he passed the integrity test, but he left his cloak in her hand, didn't he? And she cries rape. She says, Joseph attacked me, and he tried to to sleep with me, and and he forced himself upon me. And Potiphar comes home, and he's mad, and he throws Joseph in prison. And the Bible says, there he remains. There he remains. But Joseph... Saw another opportunity to serve. And he goes to the prison warden and says, Hey, look, I know how to help you organize the situation here. It seems there's a bit of overcrowding, people are unhappy. I've got some good skills in man management. I've just managed Potiphar's house. How about I take some of that load off of you and I help you manage this place? And the, the warden takes him up on his offer. And the Bible says this in 30, Genesis 39 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You see, God will always show you favour if you just offer your skills and talents to him. He will always use you wherever you are. You may have no money you may have all the money you may be the CEO of the biggest corporation or the bottom of the ladder but God will use you to your max in your opportunities if only you would let him I'm pretty sure that we will all go through these prison moments I'm pretty sure we'll always go all all go through these moments where we're feeling pain and suffering and difficulty and like we just scream I want to get out God help me But it's in these moments that God is testing us. And I believe that when we respond with our characters of excellence, humility, all those things that we have talked about, then God will move us and elevate us to a position of providence and responsibility. I'm not saying that you're going to become the next CEO of Amazon or anything like that, but what I am saying is that God will put you into a position where you are placed at that moment into a position of providence and responsibility. Remember, Joseph was still a prisoner. And he was, but he was in a position of providence and responsibility. He was still a slave, but he was in a position of providence and responsibility. You may be a checkout assistant, but God will use you to influence those around you and put you into a position of providence and responsibility. If only we would let him. You know, I, I would have thought that Joseph would be feeling abandoned, empty, lonely, depressed at that point. God never stopped providing for him, never stopped loving him, and he knew that. And Joseph wasn't doing it for human applause, but he was doing it for the glory of God. You see, your external situations don't always represent your internal situation. Because before God does the great work through you, he has to do the great work in you. And sometimes that's the most painful part of us being Christians walking this walk, is allowing God to do those that work inside of us, ready to burst it out into the public sphere. Positive psychologist Sean Anker, he puts it this way, that what we're finding is it's not necessarily the reality that shapes us, but the lens through which your brain views the world that shapes your reality. If we can change the lens, not only can we change your happiness, we can change every single educational and business outcome at the same time. And here's the thing, Joseph swapped his lens for God's lens. And he saw the opportunity before him. When he was in prison, he sees two guys who are downcast, miserable and depressed. And he says, hey, what's wrong with you? And he asks them why they're feeling in such pain and agony. And I think that is key for us this morning. How do we get over our painful situations? I think sometimes by focusing on others around us. Not about us, but about those that God has put in and around us. And Joseph asked them, what can I do for you? And they respond saying, Well, if you can interpret dreams, that would be really helpful because if we've got these two dreams and the bugging us, we don't understand it. And Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. And the dreams come true, the Bible tells us, and these guys get released. And there Joseph remains in prison. Those guys got released, the dreams come true, Joseph's still in prison, holding on to that God dream that he has. And so there he remains. And then one day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. He has these dreams, and nobody can explain them. Nobody can help him understand them. And then one of the guys who was in prison with Joseph just turns out to be his butler. (laughs) It's useful, that, isn't it? It's handy. He says, well, I know a guy. When you threw me in prison for that thing I did, this guy, he interpreted two, two of us. We had dreams. He interpreted them, and they all came true. I reckon if you brought him before you, he could do it. He's pretty wise, this chap. Okay. Let's bring him before me. So then Joseph gets brought before Potiphar, and this is the moment where his humility is tested. And Pharaoh says, I hear, you can tell me the meaning of my dreams. And Joseph says this. I can't do it. I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. It's not me. But God, it's not about me, but it's what he can do in and through me. And all I want to do is bring glory to him. And and through me, he will do that. You know, God honours us when we respond in these ways. And this is what Pharaoh's response is, and it's brilliant. He actually says, there's nobody as wise as you in all the land. And then he goes on to say this. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. You see, Joseph goes from the pit, to Potiphar's pad, to the prison, and eventually to the palace. And he goes through this process that is long and arduous. It's 13 years. It's not quick. It's difficult. And then he steps into the things that God has for him. And he brings freedom to the land. And his brothers do eventually bow down to him because they don't know who he is. You see, we want what Joseph had. We want the fame, the responsibility. We want to be able to change the world around us for the better. We want to have influence in the places we are. But Joseph went through 13 years of testing. He went through 13 years of internal growth, internal strengthening. It was because he found freedom and contentment in those difficult and dark places that he was able to bring freedom and contentment to the land in the palace. And you see, for me and for you, I think that's key for us. Because the key and the secret to being content in your workplace, I believe it's about finding happiness in who we are and whose we are. You see, I believe we need to reverse the way of thinking. If I work harder, I'll be more successful. Then I'll be happier. If I change my job, I'll be happier. If I move to another house, city or place, I will be happier. When the target changes frequently, happier Happiness becomes an unattainable goal that your brain never gets there. See, we need to give up the belief that first we must be successful in order to be happy. I believe we need to find our happiness in who we are and whose we are. And then we can bring that contentment and that freedom to others. The secret to being content in your work then. If we change the way we think, raise the level of positivity then the brain experiences a happiness advantage and it performs better than a brain on stress. It's funny that, isn't it? When we're happier, we perform better. Our intelligence, our creativity, our productivity, our energy levels, they all rise. When we stop working as if for man, but working for God, we stop focusing on ourselves and our own situations and we start focusing on God and those that God has put in and around us to affect and to change. And so I want to leave us this morning with a little challenge. It's a 21-day challenge. Apparently in 21 days you can rewire and retrain your brain to do anything. And I want us to do that as a a people this morning, whether you're in the room or if you're at home. I believe truly that God has called us, the people of God, his church, to be the culture shapers and culture makers of this place. Wouldn't it be incredible instead of all of our technology dreams coming from Apple and Amazon, it was birthed from us. That We were the ones that were creating culture and shaping things, not those that we see in and around us, but it was us that God had called us to do that. And I believe that God wants to do that in and through us this morning. So, first thing I want to do is leave us with this challenge. And the first thing I want you to do is write down three things that you are grateful for. I can easily do that this morning for you, Doug, Herc, and Angus for me. Maybe it's something different for you. Write down every day one positive experience like. Hey, I came to church this morning and I saw this incredible preach by this guy called Adam Whitley. And I can't wait to re-watch it and share it with all my friends. And so their lives are changed and other people's lives are changed. Number three, it's one that we all know but we all hate, is exercise. Did you know before Angus was born, this is me just giving you some upfront excuses. Before he was born, I was doing the couch to 5K and I am not a runner. And I started to hate it and then I loved it. And I felt better in myself. And since he was being born, and it's been difficult. And I haven't done that. And I know that I need to build that back into my life. So maybe you want to do be like me and build exercise back into your life. Number four is this. Meditate on scripture once a day. It doesn't have to be an hour long fast a day. It could just be reading a bit of scripture, praying it over your life. And if you don't know how to start with that, then I'm going to drop a link into the online community of a reading plan called the fruitfulness on our front line. It's all about working. Whether you're retired, whether you're the CEO of Apple or anyone in between that, it is applicable to you. It's one verse a day and I would start with that. And the final one is this. Do a random act of kindness per day. That one is slightly more difficult. Maybe dropping someone an email saying, thank you so much for helping me out today. Texting someone saying, hey, I'm thinking about you and I care about you. Maybe buying someone some chocolates paying it forward in the car park putting the the money in the machine and not actually getting the ticket out so when someone gets there it's like "Ah, I've got a free ticket for the car park Maybe it's putting that pound in the trolley. Whatever it is and whatever it looks like, I would encourage you to do that and do this over 21 days. You know, when we start to do this, the brain will start to retain the pattern of scanning the world for positivity. Instead of focusing on the negative and difficult elements of our lives, especially our working lives, we start to focus on those good things and the people in and around us, they start to notice things in and through us and then we start to become culture changers and culture shapers. And wouldn't it be amazing if people stopped hiring from agencies and started saying where do you hire your people from well I go to Life Central Church you know that little building opposite the leisure centre in Hell's Owen that's where I employ my people why because they're culture shapers they change things and and they do things they might not be the most skilled they might not be the, the you know the most perfect for the job in many ways but they bring culture you see when we start to do this It's going to help us be more present in our day-to-day. It will help us move forward, help us have more clarity and comfort and become a little bit happier each day. And that, for me, is truly the secret to being content in our workplaces. You know, I've mentioned a few times today about God dreams. I've mentioned this idea of us being culture shapers and culture changers. And I believe, truly, that God wants to give you a God dream this morning if you haven't got one. You know, I had a God dream when I was 10 that I was going to be a pastor. 22 years later, I'm a pastor. and I'm ready for a new God dream in my heart because I've talked about that God dream over and over and over. But I'm ready for a new God dream in my heart. Maybe you've had a God dream and you've achieved it and you've seen it happen and God's done some great things for you and you think, well, that's done. Let me say, God is not done with you no matter your age or your situation. God wants to use you in the place that you are placed. So this morning, what I'm going to ask is that we would stand this morning and I'm going to pray that this morning God will start dropping dreams into your hearts this morning. Wherever you're at home or you're in the room, I believe God wants to use us mightily in the place we are. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a couple of songs and we're going to declare the truth of those songs over our lives, our workplaces, our friends, colleagues, family, whoever they are. And maybe join the last two songs if there's other things that are coming up in your heart, and you're feeling, I need prayer for that. I'm just struggling with this situation. So maybe you can click on the Say One For Me link that's coming up online. Or you can use our prayer space, which is just through those double doors there. And our prayer team will pray for you. But I just want to pray for you now. Is that okay? So maybe you could just stand for me. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, the original imaginator and creator of everything. You know us, you know our situations, you know where you've placed us. And God, I pray right now for every single one of us who is listening to this, whether at home or in the room, that you would start imparting to us some of your wisdom and your dreams into our hearts that we would start to see our neighbourhoods differently, our workplaces, our colleagues, our friends, our families, our neighbours, the people that you have placed around us. Give us opportunity, God. Help us see those opportunities to start being the catalyst of change in culture in this place. Because God, we want to see our towns, our cities, our villages change for you. We want to see your name declared high because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you have come and you have changed our lives. And therefore, we want to see others' lives changed as well. Amen. Amen. And this morning, you know, we're going to sing this song. This song is one of my favourites. It's an absolute anthem. It's called, What a Beautiful Name. And we're going to sing this. And as we sing it, why not sing it over yourself? Sing it over someone that comes to your mind. Maybe a workplace or a place that God has placed you in this season. Sing it over that they would see that as the truth of who he is. What a beautiful name that he has no rival, that death has been defeated. Let us sing this now as we stand, let us sing together.